Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. All right. Well, like Bill said, my name is Jimmy McKee. I get the privilege of leading the Wellspring School of Ministry, which is with, with Chloe. Chloe and I lead that together. Uh, it's a seven-month school that meets on Sunday afternoons starting September 9th. And if you're interested, it's not too late to sign up. So you can go to the website and do that. That's my little pitch. Uh, it's a great time where what we're talking about today and in this whole FIRE series, we get to dive into a little bit deeper, actually much deeper, uh, among other things. So Wellspring School of the Heart is where it's at for that. So, a few years ago, I went to Toronto, catch the fire, for just one of their annual Partners in Harvest conferences, and it was the first time I'd ever been there, and I kind of, our church is a part of Partners in Harvest. Partners in Harvest values are fire, father heart, intimacy, extending the kingdom, restoration, I went to this conference knowing a little bit about the history of Toronto and that how there was this revival there in the 90s and it really thrust the, the heart of God as a father into the church and it has had a global impact and just hungry to know God as a father in a deeper way. And, and so I'm just aware of these things as I'm at this conference. We one day were on our way to lunch and I'm in the back seat of the car. We're driving who knows where. And all of a sudden, just across my imagination, this scene was started to play out. And I was in my backyard with a couple other kids in the neighborhood, and Jesus is hitting grounders to us, if you know what that is. Yeah, some people, oh, I, I thought that was assumed, but I can't assume that. So you throw up the, the baseball, and then he hits it into the ground, and you have to field it, and it could go through your legs, and you could miss it, and you could look like a fool. Or you could catch it and you could look great and throw it back to the person standing next to the hit, person hitting grounders. And so in this scene, I was say maybe 8, 10, somewhere in there. And I'm trying to field these grounders. And like three or four in a row, they just go right through my legs. And I'm just like, ah, stupid baseball. And I, I get mad at myself and I, I walk away and I'm like sad and angry and frustrated. And I try to... Like, I try to go away unnoticed. Like, Jesus and the kids, they keep playing baseball. I'm going to go over here and sulk and sit in my own sadness. And so I go around the corner and I start tearing up. I'm like, I don't know why. I don't want to have baseball. And this is all, it's the imagine. this isn't actually a real memory, but this is my imagination. And so, and then I, I, I'm only there for a moment and I, and I feel a tap on my shoulder. And then Jesus just kind of kneels down, and he doesn't fall over, but he kneels down, and, uh, and I immediately knew he was my father. In this scene, I knew he was my dad, and he's like, hey, what's wrong, bud? And I'm just like, I try to explain a little bit about why I'm frustrated, and why I feel like a loser, and he's like, hey, it's okay. I love you. Don't worry about it. I'm here. I love you, and then he he kind of took my hand and we got up and we walked somewhere. And it's really, I mean, it's, it's not a terribly profound story, but it, for me in that moment, 
there was a deeper level of what God was trying to communicate to me about who he is as a father. And I think I even said, once kind of this scene played out, I don't know how long it lasted, maybe it could have been 30 seconds, I don't know, but in real time. But uh, I, I think people in the car, I'm like, guys, I think I, I think I just had like some sort of vision of like Jesus revealing the Father to me. It was kind of, never, I've never had anything like that. And it's not t- typically a, a common occurrence for me, but, but everyone in the car is like, oh, wow, that's cool. What happened? And I tried to explain it and it didn't really mean as much to them as it meant to me because God was trying to say something to me using language that I could understand about who he was and about how he would come down to my level and meet me where I'm at and it didn't matter about the mistakes that I had made. And it made, it made so much sense to me in my, in my memory, in my mind, that God would use this, this scene to play out to show me that he loved me, that he was there for me and that he saw me for, for, as his son. And so what I'm hoping today is that God would, would just kind of break away any sort of boxes that you think, if, if he wants to talk to me, he, it needs to be like this. Or if he wants to, to communicate to me, it needs to be in this fashion. Like God, can, God knows you. He knows how you receive information. And he knows how you hear his voice, even if you don't. And he wants to talk to you and, and tell you a little bit about who he thinks you are as his beloved. And so we're going to look this morning at this amazing reality that God is our Father. The Father heart of God is central and in some ways unique to our church and our movement of Partners in Harvest. It's a, it's a central component of, of who we are and our, our whole DNA. Knowing God as a Father. Being known as sons and daughters. It's it's essential to who we are in this world as image bearers and as, as people who are going out into the world to represent God and, and extend the kingdom. It's essential, not just to, to know it conceptually that, yes, God's my Father and I pray, our, I pray our Father heart in heaven, duh, He's my Father, but to really like, know on a heart-to-heart level, to know God as a Father and to be known by God in your identity as a son or a daughter. It is foundational. And yet it's not something so foundational that you can move past it. It's something so foundational that it needs to stay in the center and it needs to stay in the forefront of your understanding of God. So whether it's it's your first time or your hundredth time, you you can say, what kind of love is this? That God would love me in such a way. Wow. And just be shocked and in awe by the love of God for you. That's my hope today that we would all, we would be a church that would just have this refrain that would say, what kind of love is this? We could just sit and just receive from the Father this love that he has for us. So, John Arnott, who was the pastor uh, of, of the Toronto church during this, these revival years, and he's still the, kind of the apostolic head of Catch the Fire, of Partners in Harvest. If you're not familiar with these terms, they're just terms that we use to, for our church network and for kind of a subdivision of the church network or something like that. If you don't know him, then it's okay. So John Arnott, anyways, he's, I'm quoting him now, in his book, The Father's Blessing, he's trying to explain 
what's happening in Toronto. Some things are just amazing and powerful and you had to be there type of thing and some things are really bizarre and people are like, I don't know about that, that's kind of weird. And so he's attempting to explain God moving in a powerful way in their midst through this book. And he writes this, We've tried so hard to be men of God and women of God and never really learned to be children of God. We have emotional needs and we need to be loved emotionally. Emotions came from our Creator. God has them. He is emotional. We were made in His image. We want to, he wants to love us emotionally. He wants, to love, he wants us to love Him emotionally with all our hearts, our souls, as well as our minds. And that kind of sums up in some ways what we're talking about when we say the Father's heart. Like, the emotions that are involved are unavoidable. And it's about understanding, to whatever degree possible, the emotions that God has for you. And then receiving the emotions that God has for you, which are for you in Christ. We'll talk about that in a minute. But to, but to know them personally and deeply. And then be able to, to express your whole range of emotions to God in a place of connection and intimacy. So, what kind of love is this? That's the question we want to ask and, and, and receive. The kind of, that's like a question that we want to continue to ask. And we get answers along the way. And we, but yeah, we keep asking because it's, it's so, yeah, exactly. It's so deep and, and there's, there's, there's no end to the affection. There's no end to the love that he has for us. And so the question remains to be asked, what kind of love is this? In fact, it's a, it's a pretty cool question that came about in a different form in Matthew 8. Matthew 8, Jesus is with his disciples and he wants to cross over the, the lake that they're on and so he says, hey, let's get in the boat. They get in the boat. I'll just read it. I don't need to summarize it. It's right there. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, him, or, and asked what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the question that happens to, to come up when we, when we encounter God for who he is. Like, what Jesus did completely shattered the paradigm they had of, of a man to where they had to ask, what kind of man is this? That he speaks to the wind and the waves and they listen to him? I don't understand. What? How is this possible? To where, you know, it's just like, the paradigm is shattered. What were they previously understood? This is what a man can do. This is what a man can't do. Okay, now there's Jesus. And he's completely shattered the paradigm. And now I don't know what to think because of what he did. The question is, what kind of man is this? And not out of suspicion, but out of amazement. Like, what? So it's the same sort of question that, uh, that John writes about in 1 John 3. It's translated... Uh, like this in the NIV. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Uh, and in it, I think it's fair to also translate it like this, as a question. What kind of love is this that the Father has lavished on us? 
a question that's, that's not out of uh, you know, suspicion, but out of, out of amazement. What kind of love is this? It, this type of love shatters my paradigm of what I thought love was. And this type of fathering just completely breaks the mold of what I thought a father was. What kind of love, what kind of father is this that would lavish to such an extent this type of love and this type of, of, of favor that we would be called children of God? And that is what we are. It's a crucial aspect in knowing our identity as his children. So I want to, to take us on a little bit of a, a journey through some, of the, some ideas about, about the Father that are, I hope and I think important to, to understand as we, as we grow in our relationship with, with God. The first is that Jesus perfectly reveals the Father. That who we see in Jesus is Father, Spirit, and Son. All in the person of Jesus. John 1.18 says this, No one has ever seen God, the only... No, so, no one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. That word revealed. He has made him known. What was previously unseen has now become visible. What was previously hidden has now become manifest. He has made him known. Jesus has made the Father known. He gets into, he, he starts, he's teaching in John 14. He's teaching his disciples about how he and the Father are one and that he only does what he sees the Father doing and they're just not really understanding what he's saying to the point where Philip says, well, Lord, just show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, you don't know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And so we see just a, a glimpse of this inter-Trinitarian dynamic in this passage where it's a little bit confounding, like, okay, there's Father, Spirit, Son, but they're all one, but they're all distinct. And it's a bit like, wow, where we say, what kind of, what kind of, what is this? Because it doesn't, it doesn't fit into our, any, any sort of metaphor that we would try to use to explain it falls short. Any sort of analogy just is incomplete because of the complexity and just the majesty of, of God. But Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father because I have made him known. I have, I'm revealing the very nature and character and heart of God in everything I say and do. Yeah. So Jesus perfectly reveals the Father. But then what does that mean for you? In Jesus, in Christ, God is your Father. So in placing your faith in Christ, God becomes, you enter into a relationship with God as Father. John 1, 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, to all who received Jesus, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of flesh or of the will of man, but of God. So there's two components there. All who receive him and believe in his name. 
So in that simple act of, of receiving Jesus into your life, of believing in the work that he's done for you on the cross and, and, and restoring you into relationship with God and forgiving you and, and, and loving you to that extent, you have now been given the rights to be called a child of God. God is your Father in Christ. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, writes this letter called Romans. And it's, it's, it's very like intricate and he uses a lot of logic and he kind of weaves and I mean, you could, you could spend a long time unpacking that, but the, the kind of, at, at this point, we'll look at Romans 5 and Romans 8. But Paul is making the case that whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, everybody's guilty. Everybody stands condemned. We all have blood on our hands. Nobody is innocent. And that's like the ground zero for where, he need, where he's trying to build. Like, because this is the case, now I can build the good news that of what God has done in Christ. So Romans 5.8 is one of the popular and important passages in that building up to that ground zero. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet estranged, while we were yet sinners, while the blood was still fresh on our hands, Christ died for us. So his love goes before. But we're not yet his children. And this, this, this gets a little nuanced, but it's important to make the, make the point that although God is creator of all, he, is, he, is, he knows everyone, he formed everyone in their mother's womb, he's intricately involved in every life and it, how, however hard to understand that is, Scripture speaks specifically about God as Father to those who are in Christ. Because there's a personal relationship that's been restored to where that Father language comes about by the work of, of Jesus. He is the Son, and those who are in Him are now sons and daughters. Yeah. The Father is the Father. God is the, is the Father of those who are in Christ. Just to try to make that point. What Romans 8, 1 then says, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You've been cleansed. You've been forgiven. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. No condemnation. And then there's a passage in Romans 8 as it carries on. That's important for the point I'm trying to make. Romans 8, 12 through 15. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For, you, for you, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in, a, in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic for daddy, like an endearing child-son or father-son relationship. Abba. So in believing in Jesus, you receive the Spirit of God. By that Spirit, you have the right, John 1, and the, and the ability to cry out, Abba, Father. It's the Spirit that you receive that you can... That, 
those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, which would imply those who are not led by the Spirit of God don't have the right to be called children of God. But for us, if, if Jesus is your Lord, if you've recognized him as the Savior of the world and, and then also as your personal Savior, then you, without a shadow of a doubt, know, can know to an infinite level God as your Father. In Christ, God is your Father. It's good. It is, it's essential and it's amazing and it's mind-blowing. And then we go back to this passage in 1 John 1. There's thousands, it seems, of passages that, that express God's love for you in Scripture, but just this, this, this one is, is, is simple enough. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, to where we ask the question, what kind of love is this? What kind of love is this? The Father loves you, not based on what you've done or haven't done, but based off of who you are in Christ. There's nothing you could do to make Him love you less. And there's nothing you could do to make him love you more. He loves you because he loves you because that's who he is. And that's who you are. And until we, until we understand this point, we're going to keep starting, like, striving for love and trying to earn something. We don't do anything for God to love us, but we do all that we do because he loves us, out of a place of knowing who we are. And continuing to be amazed by the love of God in our own life and, and being freely able to give it away to those around us. So the Father loves you. And then here is a, an important next step. It's in knowing who God is that we know who we are. Right? In this Context: It's in knowing who God is as Father that we know who we are as sons and daughters. The, the order is, when I know who God is, then I can know who I am. If I don't know who God is, then I'm, then I'm, I'm searching for identity everywhere, and I don't really know who I am. And I can, I can, have, I can understand other people's identity, like in, in, in kind of simple ways or in complex ways. Like, this is who they are. But when I, when I ask myself, who am I? I don't really know. I don't know how to answer that. Who am I? I don't know. I'm just trying to kind of live and be a good person and whatever sort of language you can put to it. But if you were to ask yourself, who am I? How do you, how do you answer that? How do you answer that question? Who am I? Often, we, often we, we, we talk about what we do as if our identity is based off of our, our doing. But that's not really the question. The question is, what, what do you do? The question is, who are you? And until we can answer that question, then we're really not even answering the question. In Matthew 16, I love how um, Jesus responds to Peter in what he, what he replied, what he answers him. So, so here's how it goes. Jesus comes to his disciples and he asks them, who do people say that I am? And, you know, you've been, you've been around and about and we're not always together and so so tell me, what are the people, who do the people say that I am? And even today, there's, 
however many answers you can get about who people say Jesus is. And in fact, Jesus is still maintained, even in our culture, a pretty good reputation. Like people still kind of admire and look up to the image of Jesus or the, the, the teachings of Jesus. He's very admirable. He's very, he's, he's still maintained that, even though the church is kind of, you know, not really, that's okay. But, but Jesus, he's still, like, he's still, he's, he's a pretty cool guy for most people. So, so who do you say that I am? And so he's like, oh, some people say you're John the Baptist, or some people say you're Elijah or Moses, or, you know, the reincarnation of who and who. But, but, then, um, but then Jesus asks him, well, who do you say that I am? And Simon, Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's who you are. And so Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So the order of events is, Jesus, or so Peter says, this is who you are. And then Jesus says, you're right. And now let me tell you who you are. Now I get to, now I get to tell you who you are because it's in knowing me that I get to, I get to, you get to know you. There's this, uh, there's this song by one of my favorite musicians. He's uh, named Jonathan Helser, but he, it's called, it, the, the main chorus is, I've seen I am, and now I know who I am. And it's just it's like, whoa, really, really powerful. I've seen I am, and now I know who I am. And it's not, guys, it's not this thing that just happens this one time a couple years ago, and now it's like, it's an ongoing reality that God continues to show you who you are the more you see him. He continues to show you. What was that? Like right now, yes, like, exactly, like right now, today, God wants to speak to you who you are. And so there's some, there's some questions we need to ask. But when you know who you are and you know who God is, your circumstances are peripheral to your identity. You're no longer bound by your circumstances, however good or bad they may be. So, just this past week, um, I went on. Va- we were on vacation with my family. Everyone's in from out of town, and we go up to my family's cabin. And this whole summer has just been, just, yeah, just been a lot of stuff going on. I've been working this painting job and I'm way over my head and I'm having to hire people and I'm just kind of stressed out. So I go on this vacation and, uh, and it's great. It felt like it was, that wasn't as restful as I wanted it to be and, you know, kids running around. It was a great time. But I had to leave early so I come home Wednesday and I'm driving home and I just, I'm just like, I'm in the dumps. I'm just like feeling sad and lonely and just bummed that I have to leave all my family on vacation and I'm, and I'm driving home and I'm just like, oh, this stinks. I don't even want to, I want this job to be done with and now I got to go back to this job. And, 
And, uh, and I just start feeling like sad and lonely and even depressed, which is really not something that is normal at all for me. And, and so I just kind of turn to the Father and I'm, I just start telling him, this is where I'm at, this is how I'm feeling. And, and then as soon as I turn to God, I just get hit with like the reality of how I'm feeling. And I just start, like I'm just sobbing. I'm just like trying to drive and stay on the road. And I got no Kleenex in my truck. I'm like, what the heck is this? And so I'm like, oh, I'm just a mess. And I'm, I mean, I, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm pretty emotional. But uh, that's okay. Totally okay. No shame at all. So, so. I just let it all out. Like, this is where I'm at. And, and it was actually in turning to God that I, I got to know myself a little bit better. Like, I actually got to feel what I was feeling a little bit deeper because I was able to tell him how I was feeling. And he, you know, as I'm driving, kind of in my spirit, I could just, I could just feel God, like, just pick me up onto his lap and just say, hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I love you. I'm with you. And it was then that I got to have this perspective that, hey, I'm a, I'm a child of God. I have nothing to worry about. Worrying has not a moment in my life. I can trust him and know that no matter what circumstances I'm in, that my identity is what's central and that God will take care of me. And, but this is the kind of the process that had to happen. Where I, had, I let it, I told God what was going on, and he got to tell me who I was. And then, and then I got to stand on who I was and recognize that everything else could, could still be going on. But Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves. And so they still. And I can know that Jesus is that, he's, he's the same God. So we want to ask those questions. In fact, Rick, could you come up? We just want to, rather than just talking about it, we want to just, I want to end with just a little bit of time to ask God or to, to, to do both parts of that story in Matthew 16. Jesus asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers appropriately, right? He answers from the inspiration of God. And so I want to just invite us all in your spirit, in your seat, wherever you're at, just to, just to hear God ask that question. Just, an, just answer the question, who do you say that I am? Just begin to tell God in your heart, in your life, who he is to you. And so, God, we just ask, or we just uh, begin, to, we just want to tell you who you are. We want to answer the question, who do you say that I am? Who are you to us? And if you don't know how to answer that question, then maybe there is a, a, fir- a first question of who are you? God, who are you? Show me who you are. But just in your own life, in your own words, just, just put words to the question of Jesus asking you, who do you say that I am? And maybe it's the words of Peter, but maybe it's a different different story. God, we want to tell you who you are. We want to declare 
who you are. You are the Christ. You are our Father. You are perfect. You are the one who takes care. You are our hiding place. You are our safe refuge. You are our safety and security. You are Just allow your words to form in your heart. And then we want to just take, take that next step and ask the daring question, God, who do you say that I am? And allow the Father to speak identity over you. He knows how to communicate to you in your own imagination, in your own images and symbols that you can understand. You don't have to feel like you need to come up with something or have the right answer. God, tell me who I am. Remind me who I am. And we want to be a people who cherish the words of God. So if you feel like God's speaking to you or reminding you of who you are in, in a specific way, I'd encourage you to, to find, like, write that down. Put it in your phone. Write it on your hand. Find a way to keep that before you. No matter where you're at this morning, I believe that God wants to surprise you with the reality of his love. That you would shake your head in amazement and say, what kind of love is this? What kind of love is this? That the Father would lavish on me. That I would be called a son or a daughter, a child of God. And that you would live from that place. You would live from the place of knowing that God is your Father and that He's perfect. That He's, He knows every hair on your head. He knows every detail of your life. He is near to you. And He's the safest place. 